Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And he swings. Hits it high. And deep. And gone. Still going back. Welcome back to The Call-Up, your go-to podcast on the future stars of Major League Baseball. As always, I'm your host, Arm Layton, and in today's episode, we are going to be talking about the most underrated prospects that stood out to me in the Arizona Fall League. And just put this article out of JustBaseball.com, so if you want to read a little bit more uh, on some of these guys, that article is linked in the podcast description as always, but I'm really excited about this one because the Arizona Fall League is, is not just about the elite talent that you know, teams want to get more reps towards, which is the Jordan Walkers, the Mason Wins, the Jordan Wallers of the world, who I actually want to speak about as well, who went down, unfortunately, last week with an injury that uh, should hold him back for a little while. I don't know what the exact timeline is, but it was a fractured scapula. We saw a similar injury, ironically, to Tyler White, who is a Brewers prospect, who ended up missing the second half of the season because of that and now is playing in the fall league to make up for lost time. So should be ready, hopefully, in the early parts of next year. But I'll get a little bit more into that in a moment with Jordan Lawler of the Diamondbacks. But really excited to talk about some of the more underrated prospects that were sent out here to either, you know, kind of give a little bit more context to teams as to what they have here, whether it's a younger guy who they just want to get more reps towards or more of a quote unquote older prospect who these teams want to see, you know, how much they can factor them into the plans next year and beyond. There's candidates for both of those buckets in this article and in this podcast that I'm going to be talking about. And that's what makes this group really fun because there's a couple players who I think have major upside, but could be, you know, high risk, high reward, may never make it up to the big leagues, haven't really played above low A or high A, but have the upside to be, you know, very impactful and maybe even top 100 prospect by the end of next year. Then there's others who have never really been considered serious prospects, but uh, continue to put up solid numbers through the minors. Now we're up to triple A right on that fringe and trying to figure out if, you know, this guy's a quadruple A guy or could be a big league impactful piece, whether it's on the mound or at the plate. And the Arizona Fall League is just another chance to try to make the best, uh, I guess, takeaway and make the best hypothesis you can on these players. Some guys like that in this group as well. Real quick, before I get into each of those names, I'll talk about Jordan Lawler real quick, because that fractured scapula is a little concerning, not in terms of the individual injury. I think he's going to come back and be just fine from that. But it is important to note that this is the second pretty serious injury that Jordan Lawler has already suffered. Remember, he did tear his shoulder up in the early going of his professional career as well. So we've not really seen him on the field as much as we should have. And he's a young, athletic, explosive prospect who needs that athleticism and explosion to be successful. 
Similar to Drew Jones, it was a torn labrum about two games into his professional career last year that ended a season. But, you know, this fractured scapula should be more of a two to three month. I think it's six to eight weeks even uh, on the lower end in terms of how much time he'll miss. So he should be good to go. And to kind of answer that question from earlier for the regular season, he should be just fine by the time spring training comes around. It was a little bit of a fluky injury as well. So that's something I want to highlight, too. He got hit by a pitch with a 94 mile an hour fastball that I think fractured that scapula. It's just one of those things where you're looking at a 20 year old here and now has had two injuries of at least somewhat Serious consequence, obviously the labrum much worse, but this is still a fracture six to eight weeks, not something you want to see from your young player. Fluky, albeit, but also still just another injury. So something to monitor. I will say there weren't any soft tissue issues for the most part this year. He played, uh, you know, a ton of games relative to what, what we would have expected from a guy coming off of a labrum. He played 100 games and then another 11 in the fall league. And that's a pretty full slate for a former high school guy. So not sounding the alarms, but if we do see some you know injury issues, if he's battling with some stuff this coming season, I think we got to start you know, keeping an eye on that and monitoring the health issues of Jordan Lawler. Right now, I'm not sounding the alarms. I'm just saying this is something that maybe we're one injury away from considering this a little bit concerning. Not going to call it concerning just yet. I'll chalk it up to a fluky injury. Wishing Jordan Lawler a very speedy recovery because he has the potential to be one of the best prospects in baseball by the time next season is over. Top 10, top 15 wouldn't be outside the realm of possibility. Already well up there, high up on our top 100 list. So let's talk about some of these prospects because there was a few guys that I went in there honestly not even really thinking about, not planning on you know saying, oh, I need to get a look at this guy or that guy and ended up coming away saying, hey, I want to you know maybe catch another game or two before I leave of these guys playing. One of them was Warner Blakely, infield prospect with the Los Angeles Angels. And Blakely's not as well known of a name outside of probably Angels fans, but I think some Angels fans out there are very excited about the potential that Blakely has. And there's a lot of reason to be excited about the upside that he has. He is a big dude. He's 6'3", 6'4", about 185 pounds, has room to fill out, and was viewed as a high-risk, high-reward prospect when he was drafted in the fourth round in 2020 out of the Detroit area as a high schooler, signed to a $900,000 signing bonus, which was a good portion over the slot value at the 111th overall selection. And honestly, his pro debut was a rough one. He started at the complex, and you could really see how raw he was as a prospect. That was in 2021, where he struck out 37% of the time in 44 games. He was just 19 years old and a very raw prospect as a high schooler in an area that's not known for being the most competitive in that Detroit region that's not typically the best baseball in the country. So there was a big learning curve even at the complex. I will say, though, you look at what he did this year. He battled some injuries, so his season was a little bit shorter than we would have liked to see. That's why he's at the Fall League. But even in the 55-game sample that we got from him at low A, you could see a much, much different hitter. And I will say, if you struggle at the complex, I'm assuming you're you're going to be really in for it when you get to low A. I always talk about the high A to double A adjustment. The complex to anywhere, with no more short season ball especially, so complex to low A is a big time leap. And he did that, and he was good. I mean, we saw Blakely hit 295, 447, 470 
in 55 games at the low A level, cut his strikeout rate down from 37% to 29.8%. Is that a little high? Of course. But this is still an extremely young player who was a disaster just the year before at the complex and now is putting up really good offensive numbers. We saw the speed to 24 stolen bases. I'll talk about what I saw firsthand, though, because when I watched him, I really didn't know what his numbers were this year. I I was aware of Blakely, but hadn't checked in really since the year was over. And when I saw that swing, I was like, this guy had to have a good year this year. And sure enough, he did. When I watched Blakely in the fall league and, and seeing him up close, the swing is so much better. His body is under control. Remember, this is a tall kid. He was tall for his age in high school, still tall now, but he grew very quickly and he didn't have that control of his long levers as much. Long legs that were just inconsistent. The lower half was overall inconsistent. The swing was a little bit long and he struggled to repeat his moves. Very classic for a big, young athletic hitter. But that athleticism has allowed him to, you know, really get better and better with controlling his body. And the swing from the left side now looks extremely quick, much shorter and smooth. There was a specific swing on a fastball middle in that looked like it might get in on his hands and the ability to just drop the barrel, turn on it. You saw that explosiveness both in the swing and with his lower half. I was like, okay, that is a really nice swing. And then I just continued to watch next at bat, next at bat, next at bat. He continued to spoil tough pitches. He was staying back. His approach is pretty good. Sure, there's still a little bit of whiff in that swing right now, and that's mostly because of pitch recognition. At times, he doesn't pick up the spin. Then he loses his body a little bit. But when he's seeing the ball well, his body's pretty under control. And I would say, honestly, catching up to Velo and things like that, that was a big problem for him before. He seems much more direct to the baseball. It's really about what he can be, too. That stood out to me. We're talking about a really good runner. We're talking about a guy that has plus power potential. Already saw him, you know, really flash some interesting exit velos, 108, 109 miles an hour, with still plenty of room to add muscle on that 6'4", 185 pound frame. Again, I, I really was impressed with his ability to catch up to Velo now. One of the things that did stand out to me, though, was some very half-hearted swings against changeups. He'll get there. He's a left-handed hitter. That's the way that you know left-handed hitters are going to get attacked by righties. And you know, still learning to stay back with that lower half, stay back overall with his body, control that body when you are a little bit fooled on a changeup. He'll get there. But again, everything else looks really, really good. I would say this is one of the more high upside, anonymous, or, or lesser-known prospects that I saw out there, and he can play all over the infield too. I know some evaluators have him long-term in center because of the speed. I think he could play all over the infield though. I don't know if he sticks it short. It's too early to say that he won't. I didn't get enough looks to really have a strong takeaway, but he could play all over. He has the tools to play all over. It's about the consistency. I'll have to see more with the defensive actions, but he is such a good athlete that he should be able to find a home somewhere and provide at least some sort of value at one of the defensive spots, even if it's not short stop. I think he's got the ability to go wherever on the defensive side of things and the bat will be extremely valuable and the speed will make its way onto the base paths as well. Interested to see how much power he taps into also. Next up is a guy that you've probably heard of or at least is more well known in the prospect ranks but he is so damn impressive that I gotta put him in here and he's on the border of underrated I guess at this point but it's Edward Julian second baseman with the twins and we talked about him a little bit when we did the fall league preview as somebody that I was just excited to see more of because he had a ridiculous year this year so that's why it's a little bit hard to call him underrated but he's not a top 100 prospect and I think he's gonna be a big league piece next year I think he gets up at some 
point next year. And ultimately, I don't know he get, if he gets discussed enough. So I think you can call him underrated. But what he did this year in double A was pretty impressive. He hit 300, 441, 490 in the Twins org with 17 homers in 113 games. I mean, that's crazy and definitely put him on a lot more radars. But what I really feel like with Julian is the defensive limitation or the questions about the glove. And this has gone back to when I saw him uh, in the Cape Cod League where he even struggled defensively there. Questions with the glove kind of lessened his prospect value. But the more I got to see of this guy's bat, and this was in batting practice, this was in games. Like This is a big leaguer. This is absolutely a big leaguer. Then I dive into the data and I do a little bit more digging and watch at bats from the season. And I really, really came away optimistic about this guy's long-term future. And I'm a huge Edward Julian fan. I really am. After what I saw in person and then what I'm able to see in the numbers as well and how those two work together to paint a really good picture here of who could, someone who could be a very impactful bat, I really can't believe he's not more well regarded and a little bit more on the background of Julian he was an 18th round pick by the Minnesota Twins back in 2019 out of Auburn and he didn't really light it up at Auburn he had some pretty good offensive seasons but overall you know as a college piece you're gonna have to light it up a bit more than he did to be a highly regarded prospect he only had an 841 OPS in that draft year and ultimately, and with 10 home runs, I should add, and ultimately with the defensive limitations, he was really looked at as a flyer at best. And that's why you saw him drafted in the 18th round. But what ended up happening with Julian is he continued to get better as a hitter. He continued to learn and also got a bit more physical. And now we're seeing at least, I think, very close, I think, fringe plus power at the plate and a ridiculously good approach. He's figured out you know, just what works for him, what zones not to chase, and how to pound mistakes. But what really stands out to me, again, beyond with Julian, is the fact that he is one of the best hitters against right-handed pitching and all of the minors. He really was. Did he struggle left on left? Absolutely. He's probably going to be more of a platoon guy long-term. Can he play second base at the highest level? That remains to be seen. I think he can get by there with the way his bat works and with his athleticism. He still is a sneaky athlete. It's just the actions that are a little bit rough, but cuts down on the whiff rates. 81% zone contact is more than enough. Doesn't chase whatsoever. 13% chase rate. And if you look at his swing, dig up some video if you're able to find any on Twitter or, or wherever you may be able to find some. It is really amazing how simple and repeatable he is with the swing. It's geared for lift. No doubt about it, but he also is so short, so quick, and repeats all of those moves so well that you really are able to see why he does not miss fastballs. And if you're wondering how good he was against fastballs this year, uh, you might be floored by this. 375, 531, 643 slash line against fastballs this season. That's in a sample size of over a thousand pitches. Over a thousand pitches, he puts up that slash line. That's 84 hits and 224 at bats, 1174 OPS. To take it a step further, if you want to talk about just righties, because at the end of the day, I don't think he's going to face too many lefties. I see him as a platoon option that you can move around from DH, first base, second base, and just get that bat in the lineup. I mean, what he did to righties this year in the minors is, is just insane. 
right-handed fastballs at sinkers and four-seamers this season. And this is still a good sample size. This is nearly 1,000 pitches, and this is 173 at-bats, 232 plate appearances. He hit 416, 560, 746 with 14 home runs, 72 hits, 55 walks, 25 strikeouts. So, again, I'm going I'm to repeat that. He hit 416 with a 1,300 OPS against right-handed fastballs. This is not a small sample size. This is 232 plate appearances that we're talking about here with right-handed fastballs. This is nearly 980, I think almost 990 fastballs that we're sampling from here. I mean, this is absurd. And when you look at the swing, it makes sense. That's why I specifically dug up these numbers because when I saw that swing, I'm like, oh my gosh, this guy, there's no way he misses fastballs. He starts with his weight shifted back a little bit. His front foot is is more on his toe, on the ball of his foot, so that that weight is already on his backside. And when you see him get into his load, there's not much. It's, it's a very small toe tap, not much of a weight transfer because he's already set there. And he's so strong and quick with the bat that he doesn't need much of that movement uh, to get into a hitting position. He pretty much pre-sets himself up in that hitting position with a very small move that way. Then when you see him get into a swing, There's very few hitters I've seen engage their backside much better than what we see from Edward Julian, you know, in the minor leagues. And and you really see the way he's able to get into that backside, stay in that backside and one of the more active lower halves in a swing you're going to see. So that's why I think he's actually closer to plus when it comes to his power. But even if he's a 55 grade power guy with the ability to hit, you know, with the how frequently he barrels baseballs, he's going to get the most out of that 55 power and it's going to really play up. Like, plus raw power. You look at what he's done in terms of just getting on base. I mean, that's also what's extremely impressive. A 13% chase rate has helped him walk at a 20% clip. And this was in double A. You assume that, you know, probably docks down another 5 6% just by pitchers having better command at higher levels. He'll probably be more in the 15% range when it comes to walks, which would be well, well, well above average. That's among some of the best in the game. You look at the strikeout rate. It's like, okay, why is it high? If he doesn't whiff a ton and he doesn't chase. Well, I think part of the issue with Julian is he's almost too passive sometimes. So not too aggressive early in the count, very confident in himself and and not afraid to get deep into counts. That's fine. But when you get deep into counts, especially in the minor leagues, you leave yourself exposed to potentially striking out, right? Because if you are patient, you get into a one-two count, you spoil a couple pitches, and then you take a pitch that you think is a ball, it's four, four inches off the plate, three inches off the plate, you can easily get rung up by a double A umpire. Happens all the time. Or pitcher makes a perfect pitch, right? Pitcher makes a perfect pitch. You swing through it or you foul tip it in the pit, into the catcher's glove. And that's that. So there is a little bit of that drawback of going deep into counts. But at the same time, it also allowed him to put up a 455 on base percentage this year in double A. All that to say, Julian has been one of the best hitters in the Arizona Fall League. There's really no doubts about that. He was fantastic in double A this year. And it's been more of the same so far in the fall league, hitting 373, 536, 706 with four home runs. He has 15 walks and 15 strikeouts. And that's the thing, just the strikeouts. It, and it's only because he's going so deep into counts. A slight change in approach, and I think he could be in really good shape there. Another reason why I think he's out there is to get more reps at second base. Almost all of the games he's played so far in the fall league, he's playing at second base. I thought he looks more than fine there given what you're going to get with the bat. One last underrated thing about Julian is he's not a horrible runner. I think he's slightly above average, but he's an instinctual baseball player. And we saw him swipe 19 bags this year. He's four for four so far in the fall league as well. So there's a little bit of added value there also. 
Next up is a guy who is way more of an athletic freak than I really ever thought he would be, but I also didn't get that many looks at him this year, and that's Mason Auer, Ray's prospect, who, he's an outfielder, by the way. Oh my gosh, is he a crazy athlete, and reminded me a little bit of Tyler O'Neill because this dude is jacked. He is absolutely jacked, big forearms, definitely defined when it comes to upper body strength overall, but he's also fast, and, and that's what really stood out to me too. I'm like, this guy's big, strong, and burly, but you watch him run, and he can really move. He's taller than Tyler O'Neill, so not as much of the muscle hamster kind of guy. He's got a few inches on him, so he doesn't have as much of that you know, kind of ridiculous looking build, not to be mean to Tyler O'Neill, uh, but also still has that really strong upper body, which you know you were able to see with the way Mason Auer is able to hit the baseball. Can look a little bit stiff at times, but that kind of naturally happens with guys that are strong, and you know you can get away with it with athleticism and fluidity, and I think Auer has enough of that. But for my folks that listen to this podcast for you know a dynasty baseball edge, a dynasty fantasy baseball edge, uh, this is someone you should absolutely take a look at because he's going to give you a little bit of everything if he can hit enough at the highest level or just hit enough through the minor leagues. He's going to give you stolen bases. He stole 48 bags this year between low A and high A, and he also hit 15 home runs. Before I get into the specifics of what I saw, though, let me give you a little bit of a backstory on our. He was a fifth round pick in 2021, and I believe that was 161st overall by the Tampa Bay Rays. He's a junior college product out of San Jacinto Community College, which, by the way, that's in Houston. That is one of the most ridiculous powerhouse JUCOs you're going to find. And they have plenty of history uh, churning out legitimate professional prospects and, and even big leaguers, including, uh, just to name a few, Brandon Belt was one of them. Devin Smeltzer, Taylor Hearn is another one. Also, you got Luke Little, a prospect with the Cubs. You got Sean Nolan. Jackson Rutledge, and if you want to go further back, even Andy Pettit and several others from years in the past that had really nice big league careers overall. So it's just been a powerhouse that produces a lot of good talent. And if it's guys that don't get drafted straight out of there, they send literally like a dozen players every year to major power five schools. And again, it's just a Juco powerhouse there in San Jacinto Community College, or also known as San Jack. But back to Mason Hour, uh, he gets drafted fifth round out of there. And what what was really impressive to me was not only how athletic, physical, and just impactful he can be, it was also just combined with that. I was expecting him to be extremely, extremely raw, and he wasn't. And that's something that was really interesting because I'm like, okay, first of all, why didn't this guy reach double A last year? But I guess maybe with the way that the Rays system is currently, and given that he's still only 21 years old, they maybe felt no need to rush it. But he made a pretty seamless transition to high A. We saw him play 60 games in low A, where he hit 293, 378, 478, 135 WRC plus, struck out 18% of the time. He makes a jump up to high A in 55 games, 288, 367, 496. It's a 133 WRC plus. Strikeout does jump about 6%. I don't really care <laughs> because. Ultimately, that's going to happen naturally. 24% K rate is still more than palatable for a guy that, you know, is making that jump in his first professional season. He only played 11 games at the complex in 2021 after he was drafted. But I can understand not wanting to rush him, especially if the plan was always to send him to the fall league, where in the fall league, our has been really solid. You add in the fact that in those 105 games this season, or I should say actually 115, bad mental math there, I'm sorry, he stole 48 bases and was only caught seven times and also added 15 home runs, 11 of which came in high A, which is important to note. 
Four home runs in 60 games in low A, 11 home runs in 55 games in high A. So definitely uh, an uptick in the power department there as he continued to get you know better in that regard as the season went on. I was really impressed at the lack of swing and miss, though. Is, is he a plus hit tool guy? Of course not. But I was expecting maybe you know a 40 hit tool or a 35 hit tool. But I see potential for a 50 hit tool here. And if there is a 50 hit tool as he develops, then you might have a top 100 prospect in Mason Hour, and it's going to be another guy that we're like, where did the Rays get this guy, and how did they find this guy, and how did they, how did he fall into their lap in the fifth round? Again, I was expecting him to be older, still just 21. Uh, there was a lot of things that I was worried about, or at least would expect with a player of his profile and not as much hype around him that you'd say, okay, well, there's got to be something here, right? There's got to be a detraction here or here. And all of those spots where, you know, maybe this is something in his game that could be concerning, I came away saying, you know, maybe that's not really not that much of an issue. And even with the bat to ball, right? Like, I figured, okay, if there is not as much whiff concern, I mean, what does the spray chart look like? Is he pull happy as a very muscly, strong guy that can get a little stiff? No, he uses the whole field really well. I watched him smack one the other way with authority. Does he hit the ball on the ground too much? Does he have an inconsistent lower half? No, he doesn't put the ball on the ground that much. A 42% ground ball rate is perfect for a guy of his kind of speed and strength. This is a really intriguing profile, and when I, what I saw physically, what I saw on batting practice, how I saw those tools transition into the game, and then the speed in the outfield as well, which he can play all three outfield spots, has a big-time arm as well if he moves to a corner. This guy's closer to a top 100 prospect than I think a lot of people think, uh, especially if you didn't even know who he was. Obviously, you wouldn't be considering him close to a top 100 prospect, but I'd venture to say Mason Hour is a top 150 prospect, and I'm very interested to see how he does in double A. If he gets off to a pretty good start in double A and continues to make good swing decisions like I saw in those games, albeit it's, it's weaker pitching overall, but he was making good swing decisions, approach looked good. I'm going to take a serious look at this guy by midseason to be a top 100 prospect, and it's not just because he's a race prospect. This is a very, very intriguing player with monster upside if he can put it all together, and it looks like there's not as much risk as you would expect with a player of his profile. I'm going to talk about a few more hitters as well as a couple pitchers who stood out to me in the fall league in just a moment. But before I get to that, support from this podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best men's below the waist grooming out there. Their products are precision engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped's performance package is the ultimate men's hygiene bundle. Join over 6 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer, which Helps us also, by the way, if you use promo code call up, that's one word call up, you will get 20% off of your order plus free shipping. It's not just the razors, though. They have great boxers. They have nose hair trimmers. They have a little bit of everything, but most notably their lawnmower 4.0 fourth generation trimmer, which is as good as it gets. It's state of the art. It's waterproof. While featuring a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin-safe technology, also comes with a 4,000K LED spotlight so that you can be more precise. And again, if you use the promo code CALLUP, you get 20% off anything from the razors to the performance package, which comes with just about everything you can imagine, or even just a pair of boxers, which their performance boxers are the best for running on the go or just comfort as well. Again, that's promo code call up, one word call up to get 20% off whatever you order at manscaped.com. So let's get into the last few players here that really performed well when I was out there and really just flat out caught my attention and 
led me to do some more digging. And of course, I've already mentioned Kevin Kendall like 10 times uh, with the Mets. He's a utility guy that I think will force his way to the big leagues. Mentioned him in the article, so I also just wanted to mention him real quick. And then another player, another bat, that nothing jumps off the page, but it's hard to deny what he has done offensively throughout his professional career. And it's funny because I've actually seen a lot of this dude through the years. Zach Britton, he's a catcher slash outfield prospect with the Blue Jays. And ultimately, I think he's moving to the outfield. I saw him for the first time when I was broadcasting for the Newport Goals of the NECBL. That's a New England Collegiate Baseball League. And at that point, Britton was a young, I think just came off his freshman year at Louisville. Uh, He was a catcher at the time. Really impressed me with the bat, though. I mean, he was fine behind the dish. He's a good athlete. But what was really impressive was the bat. He's not a huge dude, but he's really smooth with his swing. It's one of those sweet left-handed swings, but also just has a great approach, uses the whole field well, and just looks like a natural hitter. It's really the best way I can describe it. He is a natural hitter, and he's really just been able to put up numbers at every stop. He put up good numbers at Louisville. He put up great numbers in the NECBL. Then he put up good numbers on the Cape when I saw him in 2019, right after I saw him perform one of the best hitters on, uh, you know, in the NECBL, which is a weak league, but still was one of the best hitters there. Then he goes back to Louisville, has a good season there, then goes to the Cape and has another good season there. And it felt like everywhere I saw him, he hit. And because he hit well, he earned himself a fifth round pick in the shortened 2020 draft after that strong career at Louisville and has really been able to put up steady numbers basically at every stop in the minor leagues as well. I mean, really, you look at what he did this past year between high A and double A, it was more of the same. He had 238, 381, 444 with 10 homers and 31 extra base hits in 76 games between high A and double A. That's a well above average slash line, a 133 WRC plus to be exact. And that comes after putting up a 112 WRC plus in low A last year. So again, it's just been an above average hitter basically at every stop since he was a freshman at college. And I think that's what we got to kind of come to be used to with somebody like Zach Britton. He's just a natural hitter. He's 24 years old, just turned 24, and I think is probably not sticking behind the dish, right? Really struggled to limit the run game. His arm isn't the best, and his catch and throw skills aren't great. He's a good blocker because he's a sneaky good athlete, but I think a big reason why we're seeing him in the fall league is one, to get more at-bats because ultimately he was a little behind in his development after you know not quite getting up to double A as early. I don't know why. Maybe it was a log jam. I don't know what it was, but he played 57 games in high A, then played 19 in double A where he actually put up better numbers overall in a lot of ways when he got that bump to double A. And I think they just wanted to get him, the Blue Jays, that is, more reps in the outfield and more at-bats. And he's pretty much starting to see his playing time less and less behind the dish and more and more in left field where I think he can at least be an average defender. And I thought he looked fine when I saw him out there. What's crazy is, you know, this is another stop for him, right? I've mentioned the NECBL. I've mentioned the years at Louisville and then the Cape League and then now professional baseball were high A or low A, high A and then double A. You can call the Arizona Fall League another stop for Zach Britton. And guess what? He is putting up very good numbers, arguably the best in the Arizona Fall League. Through 11 games out there, he is slashing 457, 524, 686. I mean, just, just for counting numbers, he is 16 for 35 with a home run and five extra base hits. He's driven in 11. He's walked five times. He's struck out just four times. So I know it's easy to hit out there relative to you know a lot of other levels, especially double A or even high A, depending on what league you're in. But again, he just continues to hit everywhere he goes. And at a certain point, we have to stop ignoring guys that just hit everywhere they go. He's played three games in left, seven games in right. I mean, you know, the arm seems like it's gotten a little stronger. I see him more as a left fielder 
Either way, he can hold it down in either corner, and he's got average power, so the bat should be able to pick up at least enough there. Britain's an interesting player here. If he continues to hit, he's going to be one of those dudes that just forces his way up to the big leagues without ever being considered a you know, legitimate, legitimate prospect. And I do think that that's very possible if he keeps doing what he's doing in that Jays organization. Going now towards the pitching side of things, which you know, there's not, you don't go to the Arizona Fall League to see pitching very much, I'll be honest. And I did miss seeing Kumar Rocker, but there's nothing underrated about Kumar Rocker. And honestly, I'm a little bit concerned. That's for another episode to talk about, you know, what we've seen from that guy out there. But there were two pitchers that stood out to me uh, that I, I really went in there without, you know, much thought or really without expecting to really pay attention to them that much, to be fully honest. One is Connor Thomas, left-handed pitching prospect with the Cardinals, and another is Abner Uribe, a right-handed pitching prospect with the Brewers. I'll start with Thomas, a very unique profile, and a guy that climbed the minors really quickly before kind of stalling out in AAA this year. So last year, we saw him climb up multiple levels, reach AAA, and put up 105 innings, I believe, in AAA of you know, really strong numbers. He was a very competitive pitcher at that level, but then he repeats AAA this year and took a step back. The 24-year-old had a 5.47 ERA and saw his strikeout rate drop by 3%. Thomas is a pitchability guy. He is somebody that is not going to overpower you, to say the least. He sits more 88 to 90 with his fastball and probably more 88s than 90s at this point. But what we saw this year in the early going was him trying to use the four-seamer a little bit too much. And what he has is a heavy sinker that is really solid. Even at 88 miles an hour, it's so heavy. It's such a bowling ball and it has so much horizontal movement that he can get a lot of weak contact and a lot of ground balls. His ground ball rate dropped this year because I feel like he was trying to be a little bit of something different than he'd been in the past, which is a guy that just gets ground balls and pitches to outs, and he wasn't doing that as well this year. We see him now in the fall league after finishing the year pretty strong and then goes out to the fall league. He's been one of the most dominant pitchers out there, and a reason why is we're seeing more swing and miss, and the reason why I think we're seeing more swing and miss is, yes, he's just more polished than everybody else out there for the most part as a 24-year-old with now multiple seasons at the AAA level, but I also think it's the way that his slider, which is his best out pitch, really his only true swing and miss pitch, is working off of his opposite acting sinker. You have two pitches here as a lefty. You have the sinker that's going to run like crazy to his arm side, crazy amount of arm side uh, run that he is able to get on that pitch. And then the slider that works the opposite way, breaking towards his glove. Those two pitches working off of each other really well have, have helped him rack up more strikeouts as well as the fact that he's always had great command. That's what allowed him to climb the minors quickly. So now we're seeing a guy that knows how much arm side run he's working with, has a better feel for it, and also is able to go east-west really well. He'll mix in a decent changeup and still can surprise you with the four-seamer at the top of the zone when he feels like hitters are really two zeroed in on the bottom third of the zone and eliminating the top third of the zone. So he's still capable of doing that. But what I liked is I saw this guy lean more into what works, which is the heavy fastball and the slider off of it. Do I think he's going to be a big league starter? I don't know. The numbers are really good so far in the fall league, and there is a track record of success in AAA. What I do think he will be is a solid swingman, and I think that's something that is still valuable, especially if we're talking about a pretty overlooked prospect overall in Connor Thomas and a guy that barely breaks 90 miles an hour. He gets a lot of ground balls, and he's really tough against lefties. He does remind me a bit of Richard Blyer, but with the ability to be stretched out more innings-wise. That's the Marlins reliever who's had a really nice career, a lot of that with the Orioles as well. 
the way his stuff works, you look at it and you're like, ah, how is that guy a big leaguer? But he continues to get out. Blyer does that. I think Connor can do that. Connor Thomas can do that for a longer duration. Spot start if you need it, but also could be a good middle reliever in that swingman role. With what I've seen, I think he has good enough command and just good enough stuff to do that. So far in the fall league, 17 and two-thirds innings, 24 strikeouts, just four walks. He's just not going to give up free passes, and that's something that should really help him. Lefties very much struggled against him this year because of that solid slider that he can manipulate to be more of a cutter, uh, which also can get in on the hands of righties as well, and that's been a, a pretty good success pitch for him also. But he is tough to lefties, and that gives him a higher floor as a potential middle reliever, guy that gets lefties out, spot starter if you really need it. Thomas should be a good depth arm. Uh, in that organization next year and should get a chance to make some starts, especially in double headers or in some situations when you know the Cardinals may find themselves in a pinch. They definitely need to add pitching regardless, though, at the big league level. But as you know, 162-game season, there's a lot of things that happen, a lot of spots that you find yourself in that are tough roster-wise, especially on the pitching side. And I would expect Connor Thomas to make some starts and potentially could be that, you know, mop-up duty reliever as well for them, in which he could settle into a nice big league role there if he continues on the trajectory that he is on. Last guy I want to talk about real quick before I highlight some of the eBay purchases out of this group that I think could be good investments is Abner Uribe, right-handed pitching prospect with the Brewers. And you may not have ever heard of Uribe because he was an $85,000 international free agent. He's also often been injured. He's also a minor league reliever, and there's... (laughs) Really not that much fanfare for minor league relievers, but there's fanfare for 102 mile an hour fastballs, and that's what Abner Uribe showcased. He missed most of this past season with a torn meniscus, which resulted in you know us really barely seeing him at all in the minor leagues. It's been a struggle for Uribe to stay on the field, period, since he debuted professionally in 2018, really only throwing 65 innings in four seasons, uh, which obviously is not much. The bigger issue has been the walks. 50 walks in those 65 innings, and that's not counting his Arizona Fall League performance last year, which I'll get to in a second. Last year was a career high in innings for Uribe, who at 21 years old pitched at low A, and in 33 and two-thirds innings, he walked 25, but he struck out 52. Prior to going down with the meniscus injury this year, Uribe had only thrown three innings, so we barely got to see him this year, as I mentioned, and he walked four in those three innings. Going back to the fall league performance last year, which you know preceded obviously the three innings we saw from him this year, he threw nine innings in the fall league last year, and that was after you know the 25 walks and 33 and two thirds. And in those nine innings last year in the fall league, he walked 17 batters, 17 batters in nine innings, 16 strikeouts. That's obviously not going to work. And there was some serious, serious command issues for him as he just continued to struggle, and that's why he, his fall league was cut to just nine innings. What's very interesting is, as I'm watching that stuff explode out of his hand, as I watch him pitch in the Fall League this time around, I looked at the numbers. It's a very small sample size, but with guys like this that have struggled with command to this degree, even small sample sizes can be very encouraging. He's thrown nine innings thus far in the Fall League, including a couple of which that I saw where he was around the strike zone, and in those nine innings, he has walked just two and struck out 12. This is the best nine-inning stretch of his professional career. We're going to take small victories for guys that are still 22 years old and throw 102. He throws 102. He sits basically 99, mostly 100. And when you have somebody that can sit in 99-101 range, 
you're going to get pretty happy when you see at least just some sort of heading in the right direction command-wise. He doesn't have to have great command. If he has even kind of bad command, he could be a very solid big league reliever, and we know the Brewers do a good job of develop, developing those types of pitchers and getting the most out of them as relievers. Uribe has two fastballs and a nasty slider. He's got a four-seamer that doesn't have as much you know, vertical break as you'd like to see, not as much hop, but it doesn't matter because it's 102 and still has enough hop to it. And then he also has a running fastball, more of a two-seamer that is basically at the same speed, maybe a half of a mile an hour slower on average, so it's more 98 to 99, whereas the four-seamer is more 99 to 100. But he's got the two-seamer in the upper 90s, often touching 100, and then he's got the four-seamer that's almost always 100 and touching 101, 102. Those two fastballs are really tough, and then he snaps a 90-mile-an-hour slider. If he is able to even have just like I said, kind of bad command. He will be a big league reliever. If his command can get decent, he could be a closer. That's how nasty he is. He's a great athlete on the mound. The arm speed is comical. He is very interesting. So after seeing a guy throwing 102 out there after a lot of uninspiring pitching prospects for the most part, Uribe is somebody that you should definitely just monitor as a relevant arm in that Brewer system, a system that does a good job of maximizing those types of guys. As part of the final segment here, I want to highlight... A couple of the players that I talked about, uh, especially one of them, and maybe a couple others that I didn't talk about that could be great purchases uh, in terms of their prospect cards on eBay, Warner Blakely is one of them because ultimately you got to wait and see. We don't have a Mason Hour card yet. We surprisingly don't have an Edward Julian card yet, but Warner Blakely's card is a great purchase. It's risky. I'll admit it. I'll always tell you when I think it's a risky purchase, but when you can get a Bowman Chrome Auto for $18 for a prospect that has top 100 upside, I'm always going to buy a couple of them. And Warner Blakely's Bowman Chrome Autos go for $18. His base Bowman Chrome, uh, that's the most recent sale on eBay, was $18. you will get some of the more rare versions of the card. His ungraded out of 150 autograph, that's the blue auto on eBay, went for $46. So for less than $50, you can pick up a rarer version of a very intriguing prospects card. Sure. Is there a risk with the swing and miss 29% K rate? Yeah, absolutely. But I like what I've seen from him. I like the trend that he's on. And for $20 or less, or if I feel a little bit more bullish, I'll be honest with you. I'm just going to buy a couple base cards. If I see a good deal for like 35 or less on one of the blue deals, you know, one of the blue cards, I'll definitely scoop one up, but probably just going to drop around $45 and get three autographed cards of Warner Blakely, who again has the potential to have a plus power speed combination or close to it and seems to be heading on a really solid trajectory. Uh, That's a good low risk, high upside kind of purchase. Another card and a player that I I probably should have highlighted as I realized this is someone that I do think is, is very underrated out there in the fall league right now is Grant Levine, first base prospect with the Colorado Rockies. Levine was the 42nd overall pick in 2018 out of New Hampshire High School. It was Bedford High School to be exact. And that's obviously not a hub for major league talent or really professional baseball talent at all. And ultimately, I don't think he had a ton of really good competition to face throughout his high school career. And it was a big jump for him. And Levine struggled a bit out of the gate. He did have a really good stretch in the rookie league, but then ultimately struggled in low A in Asheville, and then in 2021, put up okay numbers, was good in low A, then struggled in high A, and then this past year, of course, he missed 2020 before that, and then this past year, started to show some really good signs of life. Again, it seems like a hitter that continues to adjust and then gets more comfortable and then has to get promoted, which, of course, is part of 
what happens when you hit, you get promoted. And then it's like a learning curve all over again for him. Again, it's important to note that he is somebody that did not have a very high level of competition going in and seems to adjust really well at each level. So we saw him struggle in low A. Then the second time around is good. Then he gets called up to high A, struggles a little bit. Second time around, which was this year, he was good again. 875 OPS in high A this year as a 22-year-old at the start of the season, then gets the bump up to double, which is Hartford. And Hartford is a very difficult place to hit. We've talked about that a little bit on the podcast. That's double A, and his numbers were fine there. A 717 OPS is not the worst thing in the world for a 22-year-old who's getting his first taste of double A in a very pitcher-friendly ballpark. And what's interesting is Levine's 6'4", 220. He's a big dude, plays first base, so it's, it's all about the bat for him. Uh, but he has hit really well. His approach is pretty solid. His bat-to-ball skills aren't bad at all. I think he's a pretty well-rounded hitter. And there's way more power in the tank. He's just not tapping into the physicality yet. I still think he has more room to fill out as a 6'4 dude uh, with definitely more room on the frame and more ways to just tap into that power with his swing. He's looked good in the fall league. I thought he looked very comfortable as a hitter. I don't know if he's going to be you know, the best player in the world, but his Bowman Chrome autos on eBay are like $10. $10. I saw a refractor go for $15. So if, especially if you're a Rockies fan, you want to pick up cards of a guy that could very well be a part of your future because he just turned 23, already has semi-decent numbers in double A. I think, again, if the trend is anything indicative of, of what we've seen from him and what we could see moving forward, he's going to get better in double A this year, then get the bump to triple. But here's what happens this time is he goes to a very hitter-friendly environment. So that adjustment period after going from double A getting comfortable again, as he seems to always do, then goes to triple. I bet you he doesn't have as much of that learning curve there. And again, the field of hit continues to get better. Spats of ball skills were better as the year went on. Whiff rates went down. Numbers got better in that regard. I I think he's a pretty interesting prospect that should be a big leaguer. Uh, For $15 for his refractor on eBay, I would absolutely buy that. You can find his autograph card for $5. His Bowman Chrome autograph for $5. I just saw one that sold for $5.61. There's another Bowman Chrome Auto, 9.5 out of 10, Beckett, that sold for $13. That, that, that's literally less than the price of putting it in the slab. Um, again, I'm not saying he's going to be the most exciting player in the world, but this is a guy that has a very good chance of being a solid big league bat. Very possible. And you can get his Bowman Chrome Auto for $5 on eBay. That is insane. I'm going to scoop up a couple. If you really like Grant Levine for whatever reason, uh, you can legitimately get some of his rarer cards for like 20, 30 bucks. So uh, it's it's worth it. I think it's worth a, a flyer if you're looking for some very low cost pickups. Uh, that's one that could be a big leaguer. And once you get in cores, anything can happen. That'll do it for today's episode. You can look out for our interview with Jackson Merrill as well as Tyler Hardman. That'll be on tomorrow's episode, but I hope you enjoyed this. I hope you have a happy Halloween, a safe Halloween, and we will talk to you with that interview with Jackson Merrill and Tyler Hardman tomorrow. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. 
your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.